Trevor Cates, welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. Today we're discussing how hormones impact our skin, and that includes our stress hormones. My guest is Dr. Carrie Jones, who is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with the goal of doing more international education. She was adjunct faculty for many years, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology, and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is the medical director of Precision Analytical Incorporated Creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. In today's interview, we discuss the top hormones that impact skin issues that include acne, premature aging, eczema, even hair loss or excess hair growth. Dr. Jones shares how to identify which hormones are the problem for your skin and natural solutions to rebalance them for healthy skin and for your overall health. So please enjoy this interview. Dr. Carrie, it's so great to have you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really glad technology worked out, and uh, here we are. (laughs) Yeah, Zoom is quite popular these days, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Right. So we're talking about skin and hormones. And I know you are, you have a huge following. Um, People really look to you as an expert in the area of hormones. So I'm excited to interview you since you haven't been on the Spot Doctor podcast before. Um, But before we dive into talking about specific hormones and how they relate to skin and and more, um, tell us what got you really interested in this topic. Oh my gosh. So I have known since I was a little girl that I wanted to do women's health and hormones. And when I got to naturopathic school, that's what I focused in was women's health, hormones. My mentor was big into hormones, big into hormone education. And so I learned a lot. Then did my residency in women's health and hormones, got my master's in public health so I could do international work with women's health and hormones. And so I joke, hormones is the only thing I know. If you ask me about your kids, if you ask me about your hurt knee, like I have no idea. (laughs) But if you feel hormonal, I can help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great because then you become the expertist and we can ask you all kinds of questions. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so when we're talking about hormones, there are certain ones, specific ones that um, that really make an impact on our skin. So I want mm-hmm. to talk about some of these. And so what would you say are some of the top ones that are the most important ones for us to be talking about when we talk about skin? Really what I see all the time are when women and even men have, have an imbalance with their either estrogen, progesterone, with their cortisol and with their androgens, their sort of testosterone and other um, androgenic type hormones, any of those can cause what I see hormonal stuff, whether it's dull skin, aging skin, acne, um, the hair growth in the places that we don't want, and even up into the hair follicles, we'll start to get hair loss um, on the head. So all four of those hormones can really cause a lot of problems for people. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through those. The first one you mentioned was the estrogen progesterone balance. 
Yes. Yeah. So estrogen and progesterone for the women who are still cycling, um, as we get close to our period, we should have more progesterone relative to our estrogen. And if we don't, if it's the other way around, we actually have a lot more estrogen or just relative to progesterone. That's when women say, I feel PMS. I have heavy periods. I feel moody, but they'll also say I'm breaking out. Like I'm, I'm having, I feel puffy. Um, I feel like I'm having water retention. And as a result, I feel like I'm getting acne on the cheeks or the, you know, even in the forehead and depending on the hormone as well, down on the chin and jawline area. And so by helping either improve that progesterone or improve that estrogen clearance out of the body, we call it detoxification, that women will say, oh my gosh, my skin is so much better. It's so much clearer. I feel so much better. My PMS is better um, just by helping those two hormones. Right. And it's, it's, you know, we're talking about skin a little bit, of course, all of that, like all those symptoms that you mentioned, it all ties in. And that's why I talk about skin being our magic mirror that gives us great information about our overall health, right? Mm-hmm. And it just all ties in together. So certainly we don't just look at skin. So thank you for, of course, including all those symptoms because it does help us figure out then which hormone it is, right? Because there, there are a lot of, there are different reasons too that someone can break out in acne. It's not just from what you're talking about here. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, even just like I've heard you talk before with like the gut health and skin and the gut health itself can actually affect how a woman recirculates her estrogen or not. So we might be thinking like, oh, my, my, I have gas, I have bloating, I have constipation. I, when I eat foods, I feel super bloated. It upsets, I get heartburn. And, and you only focus on just you know, the intestinal stuff, but then, and then your, and then your skin breaks out and then you feel hormonal. It, it definitely has a big sort of, um, like a domino effect, like, you know, when the, when the microbiome and the gut is off and then it just goes from there. And so I tell women, yeah, estrogen, all your hormones actually, but estrogen in particular gets cleared out of the gut. So if your gut is not happy, then your estrogen won't be happy. And then your skin won't be happy and your PMS won't be happy. And it just sort of goes on and on. Okay, so you mentioned this was with women that were still having their periods, so women mm-hmm. still cycling. What about women that are no longer cycling? Oh my goodness. So as women who get um, older and they get into perimenopause and menopause, I, I call perimenopause, so that's that sort of transitional time when you were reproductive and cycling, but you're not yet menopausal, so your periods haven't stopped completely. So usually for most women, it's maybe in their 40s, early 50s, and they say to me all the time, I feel like a teenager. My skin is completely breaking out again. What is happening? And I, I am, I'll be 43 in June. So I'm like, I, I totally get it, (laughs) but I call it reverse puberty. That is when you went into puberty, your hormones were chaotic. And as a result, a lot of men and women break out. And then when you were headed into menopause, it's reverse puberty. So you're kind of backing out of making all of those hormones and those hormones are very erratic. They used to follow a really nice rhythm. You would get your, hopefully, period every month, get it every month, get it every month. But what happens is we get into our 40s and early 50s is, is we may get it twice a month. We may skip several months. We may skip several months and then get it twice a month. And this erraticism just absolutely wreaks havoc on our face because estrogen's high, then estrogen's low, progesterone's high, then progesterone's low testosterone's high, then testosterone's low, and the skin's like, I, I don't even know what to do right now. I'm just going to rebel. And so poor women, they end up feeling like they had skin when they were in puberty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and what about men? You mentioned men too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how do men play in this? 
Yeah, absolutely. Men can No, a lot of men, for men, it's similar to women in that we look at testosterone. So one of the other hormones for skin. And so testosterone itself can bind to receptors in our skin and can turn them on to either have hair growth, like that dark, coarse hair growth, the tree branches that we don't like, um, or the, the acne, the cystic acne. And so men can get that as well. The other thing testosterone can do is testosterone can convert into an even more potent form known as DHT. DHT is really what's known, which you've talked about, as what causes the cystic acne on the jawline. Again, the hair growth in places women don't like, the male pattern baldness in men and women um, at the hairline. And that DHT is potent. So for some people, when a DHT molecule floats by the chin, the, the receptor freaks out and poof, you know, you break out or poof, like on the jawline or poof on the, on the neck area, you know, you start to develop neck acne and it can happen in men and women. And, um, you know, it doesn't happen, of course, to all men and women, but to some who are more sensitive, it can actually absolutely be a real problem. And you don't have to have um, necessarily high levels. You, you just have to be like more leaning that way. You can just have a preference for that DHT pathway, and we'll see it in, in men and women. And you don't have to have something like PCOS, which is really common to go down that pathway. You could be not PCOS, but still go down that pathway and still struggle with skin issues. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's go through the other hormones, and then we'll go back. We'll talk about testing and treatment, too. Yeah. So don't yeah. To touch on those topics. So, okay, so what are the other hormones we haven't Talk cortisol. Cortisol is a big one. Stress is really big right now, unfortunately. And so cortisol is wreaking havoc on our collagen and our skin cells and our hair follicles. And so as a result, what I'm hearing from men and women is that they're feeling as if they're aging with stress. They feel like their wrinkles are more pronounced. Their skin is either drier or uh, oilier, sort of depending on the person. Cortisol can really increase um, sebum though in the skin, they're reporting hair loss because of cortisol's effect right at the hair follicle. And so as a result, with lots of stress, lots of cortisol, we get, we often get skin issues. And so right now being a really unfortunately good example, if you already had stress and then we add a pandemic on top of it, I'm hearing this more and more from um, patients and even practitioners who were saying, what's wrong with my skin? And why is my hair falling out so much? Like, I know cortisol has a really crazy effect at the skin and the hair follicle level. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about a thyroid hormone? Thyroid is a big one. As we know, when the thyroid slows down, it slows down hair turnover and it slows down hair growth. It slows down sort of skin turnover and collagen. And so that can affect again, skin and hair as well. Whereas the opposite, when the thyroid is fast, hyperthyroid, we tend to get oilier more sebum production, and it can also affect oiliness in the hair and the scalp. It can also affect our hair loss um, as well. And so thyroid is a big one for skin health and really important to test. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So going back to androgens, um, yeah. I know you talk, you know, like what's with men, men and women, the differences between that, like what are the things that you notice as far as their skin and the impact of, of those? Yeah, with the androgens, what I see the most from men, um, especially not so much in the, like the teenage years, which obviously the, the change in androgens is what brings about a lot of the teenage acne along with, of course, gut and diet, all that stuff. But just for the normal adults, with men, I tend to see the hair loss. I tend to see the receding hairline and the temples, the male pattern baldness. The other things those androgens can cause are mood changes, which obviously is not related to skin, but 
they'll be a little more angry, a little more less patient, a little more irritated. Whereas with women, I still see the mood stuff. Women are like, I'm more irritated. I have less patience, but they tend to get more of the acne. They get more of that cystic acne, especially on the neck, the jawline, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily just have to be there in the chin. Um, but men, men make a lot more androgens, so they handle them better than women do. So men just tend to have lots and lots and lots of testosterone because it's what makes them men. Um, so, but it really affects their hair follicles. Whereas women, when we get too much of the androgens for us, or we get too much of that um, DHT, that potent part, it affects not only our hair follicle, but our skin uh, and mood as well. So we get the big trifecta when it comes to androgens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so when it comes to anything else you wanted to say about hormones before we go on to testing? No, no, keep, this is good. <laughs> all right. So, um, and yeah, I, I find all this fascinating. I think hormones are so fascinating because they're so complex and whenever anybody can kind of simplify it, I always love that. <laughs> um, so, um, when it comes to testing, I know you do a lot of testing cause you work with, a, you work with a lab, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you have a lot of experience with that. So what do you recommend when it comes to testing for these for, Yeah, for women who are still cycling, it, the timing is everything. So it's the first thing I always say, no matter what test you use, whether it's a, a blood test, a saliva test, a dried urine test, which is the hormone lab that I work for, um, you want to make sure that you get it at the right part. So if you pretend or assume that you ovulate in the middle of your cycle, roughly day 13, 14, 15, you actually collect any hormone testing what we like five to seven days later. So for the average woman, we're looking at day 19, 20, 21 of her cycle. Now, if you're listening to this and you you're like, well, actually, I ovulate on day 10. Okay, you'll collect on day 15 through 17. So it's very specific where we hormone test. If you if you you know ask me like, well, I got my hormones done on day five and I was told they're fine. I'm like, well, day five. Is not what we're looking for. We're looking for later in the cycle, more like day 19, 20, 21. So that's first and foremost, know where you are in your cycle when you get tested. Secondly, you want to do, when you do testing um, with serum and with, which is a blood draw and with dried urine, which is where I work, I work for the Dutch test, um, but there are other companies out there. It's basically these pieces of filter paper that you urinate on a few times in the day. So it's an easy at home collection. But the bonus of them is you get testosterone, but you also get that DHT. You can get blood draw of testosterone and you can get the blood draw of DHT. Unfortunately, you can't get that in saliva testing. Now, when you're looking at estrogen and progesterone, though, the nice part about the dried urine is you get your estrogen, but you also get your estrogen detoxification, two out of the three phases. So if a woman says, I have a lot of skin issues, I also have heavy periods, I have PMS, moody, endometriosis, whatever it is, I can say, well, I can tell you based on these results how you're detoxifying your estrogen. And if you're not doing it very well, then it causes a lot of recirculation, right? It builds back up in your system again, and now you have problems. So I like that I get the extra added information out of the dried urine to really help somebody who's struggling. So I can be like, this is how you detoxify. This is what your testosterone is doing. Here's how your cortisol looks. Here's how your cortisol looks through the day. Here's why you can't sleep. Here's why you feel so stressed out. So I just get a much bigger picture uh, when I do that, when I do the dried urine. But I know a lot of people start with blood draws because it's, it's easy. You just miss some of that extra info that we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. And that when it comes to cortisol, 
you know, a lot of people do the saliva test for mm -hmm. alcohol, but mm -hmm. you, you can also get that from the dry urine test. You can, and you do it throughout the day because you want to catch the rhythm. So you'll do it in the morning. You'll do it a couple hours later. You'll do it around dinner and you'll do it before bed. And if you have insomnia, you'll do it in the middle of the night when you wake up as well. So it's really nice to catch all the points so I can tell you what your rhythm looks like. Are you high in the morning and low in the, at night like you should be? Or do you have a reverse curve? Are you low in the morning so you're super tired and unmotivated, but then you get a second wind and now you can't sleep before you go to bed. And so we can work on that. Right, right. And that really helps with treatment. Now, from mm -hmm. a conventional perspective, okay, so a lot of times people say, why don't conventional doctors do this kind of test? Because you typically don't get the, the you know, the, the Dutch test or the dried urine or even saliva test in most doctor's offices, even gynecologists or, you know, most, most of them. I'm not saying right. all of them, but right. most of them. why is that? Most of it's education, right? Most of them are just taught, like, if, if you have a problem, then here's the, the pharmaceutical that goes with it. So if you have, let's say, acne, you know, like you have some options, like, well, you can get the birth control pill. If you don't want that, you can try spironolactone and you can try topicals that are prescription. So it seems in um, conventional treatments, first of all, they don't have a lot of time. They have about eight to 10 minutes with you, unfortunately. And, and then, then they have to make the quickest decision in that eight or 10 minutes to give you. And the quickest, easiest is here, take a pill, right? Here, take a pill. Yep, you have acne, here, take a pill, whatever that pill. Or here, try a cream, try, you know, try this topical. But it never gets to the cause. So yes, it may help, but you may have to be on it for a really long time or forever because you never actually backtracked and looked to figure out what really is going on. But they can't do it in eight to 10 minutes, which is what's really nice about the functional medicine movement is you have a lot more time and the goal is more like, what, what is causing it in the first place? What is causing this hormonal imbalance? What can we do to get this back in balance. So whatever you're taking, you don't have to be on seemingly forever and ever. And so that's why I like adding in this extra testing because I get more information and it just helps me really personalize uh, what's, what's going on with somebody. So for example, like spironolactone, if somebody's on it and they're like, it's not working, like, well, it's not an androgen problem. Like I know what, I know what the mechanism of action is. So now I know it's something else and we have to still test and figure out what else it could be uh, when it comes to like skin and medic and pharmaceuticals. Yeah. So let's so you just talked about uh, cortis uh, cortisol testing. Um, let's talk about that first. So say, you know, you get the results back and mm -hmm. it shows different things throughout the day. How is that going to, as from a naturopathic doctor's perspective, how is that going to change the treatment program protocol that you have? Yeah, it's actually a really good question. So if your, if your rhythm is off, your circadian rhythm sets the rhythm for everything in your body. So including your hormonal rhythm, how you ovulate, how you have a period, um, how you, when you choose to eat, when your, your hunger symbols uh, or signals, um, how your thyroid is released. So your, your main wake up in the morning, go to bed at night rhythm, that circadian rhythm is the master circuit setter for everything below it. And so when I look at cortisol, I know that if you are, if you were flipped, like I said earlier, if you're low in the morning, which is not good, and elevated at night, which is not good, then I know it's probably affecting every other hormone production in your whole body. I know it's affecting how you digest your food. I know it's affecting how you absorb your food. It's affecting how you um, release glucose and release insulin, so blood sugar balance. And all of that affects the skin, ultimately, but it affects everything else. Your, how you handle infection, how you handle inflammation, how you do or don't get autoimmune disease, you know, potential cancer in the future. 
it really affects everything downstream. So when I'm looking at that rhythm, I really want to make sure that somebody has a normal rise in the morning to get them up, to get them out of bed, to give, switch them to alert, to help reduce infection, reduce inflammation, manage blood sugar because you've just been fasting all night long. And I want them very low at night so they can fall asleep, stay asleep, so melatonin can come out. So you get restored and refreshed and then you start all over again. And so that's, it's the idea of our rhythms and our energy and sort of stress in general gets blown off in, in our society. I find that people are like, I'm like, are you stressed? Well, yeah, but that's normal. You know, it's common. <laughs> common and normal are not the same thing. And, and it really does affect everything else because most people are not just tired. They're tired and they have all this list of other problems, you know, that symptoms that they're experiencing. But it can, it's a lot of times can just start with fixing that rhythm um, for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the things that you do to help treat those imbalances with cortisol? Yeah, actually, believe it or not, it's free and it's easy. And I, it's the greatest thing ever. Use the light and the dark to your advantage. So what I tell people is when you get up in the morning, um, your cortisol rises very quickly in about 30 minutes. That's, that's natural. And it does so at the response of light. So I want you to open up your curtains, open up your blinds, go outside, consider buying a full spectrum light box, turn it on in the morning and get about 15, 20 minutes in your eyeballs, you know, like don't blind yourself with the sun, but like enjoy the fact that there's full spectrum light around you. That helps entrain your rhythm. At night, darkness is your best friend. Darkness is what resets a dysfunctional rhythm. So make sure you wind down at night, dim the lights, wear blue light blocking glasses, consider getting off your phone, your tablet, computer, what have you, sleep in complete darkness. No night lights, no neighbor light in the window, you know, no blinking lights, no electronic lights, sleep with a sleep mask. And by just utilizing light dark, it makes a big difference. The other thing I like to do a lot are just stress, um, like stress management things, whatever works for you, right? So it's meditation, it's journaling, it's nourishing your relationships, it's snuggling your kids or your dog, you know, building up that, that feel-good hormone, oxytocin. It's, it's resilient things like washing your face with cold water, ending your shower in cold water, which may be new for some people, but that take a shower and then when you ended the last 30 seconds to a minute in, in colder water, it helps your system build up some resiliency. And right now, we could, humans could use some resiliency. And it's actually good for the skin and it's good for the hair follicles. And so I'm telling people, whatever you do for stress response and stress, stress relief, do it now more than ever. And any supplements you take for stress, any supplements you've been prescribed by your, your practitioner, um, especially if you're to do it in the morning for energy, try to do it within the first 30 minutes of waking up. Timing is everything. Because again, you've got about 30 minutes where your cortisol takes off. And so you're trying to improve that communication. So do it within the first 30 minutes of waking. Because what happens is people get up and they get ready and they get their kids ready and they let their dog out and they take a shower and all of a sudden two hours have gone by and then they're like, oh, I have these supplements in my pocket. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they forget, right? So take, you've got to train yourself to take it early. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, okay, great. That's, that's all fantastic. And I think, um, you know, it really depends, of course, on the level of issue that you have. Um, as far as what supplements to take, but is there anything in general that you want to say? I mean, I think it's of course best to work for people to work directly with a naturopathic physician or a functional medicine doctor to, to figure yeah. out what's best for them. But in general, do you have any recommendations? 
Yeah, for, for stress, you mean? Um, absolutely. Yeah, stress. Yeah, for stress and cortisol, I'll tell you, my, my absolute personal favorite is holy basil, which is also known as Tulsi. And it's generally pretty safe. Uh, you can't take it if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. But for the average person, pretty safe. It's very common in teas. You'll see it in teas in the grocery store. Very popular ones, you'll hear ashwagandha, which is an Indian Ayurvedic herb. Um, Eleutherococcus, you will hear rhodiola. Your B vitamins are very supportive. Vitamin C, very supportive to the adrenals and the immune system. And so there's definitely a number of um, nourishing stuff for people uh, when it comes to cortisol. Okay. Okay, great. So then you also talked about um, androgens and that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, especially the excess or DHT excess. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do to help address that and treat that? So the two big triggers are inflammation and insulin. So if you have a lot of inflammation that you can identify, like maybe you are eating dairy and you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe you have a virus. Maybe you have Epstein-Barr virus. Maybe you have mold exposure. Um, maybe, um, you know, just, just whatever inflammation you're, you were working with on your practitioner, that can increase that DHT pathway. The other big thing is insulin. So if you have blood sugar imbalance, consider, ask, try asking your practitioner to get a fasting insulin and let's see what's going on. The higher the insulin, generally, the higher the DHT. But as you're working on those two things, um, there are some more natural supplements that can be helpful. One is uh, saw palmetto which we commonly think of for men and prostate health, and you'll see it in prostate mixes. And men can use it too, obviously, but for women, I'll say, you know, I know maybe the bottle says prostate. I know you don't have a prostate. It's, for, it's really for that DHT pathway. Zinc can be really helpful. So eating more foods that are high in zinc. Reishi mushroom can be really helpful and pushing away from that, that DHT. So medicinal mushrooms, not the illegal kind, but the medicinal kind are getting a lot of press right now. And I love it because they are so beneficial to the body. And reishi is a really good one for the, it decreasing that DHT. And then stinging nettle root. Uh, stinging nettle comes as a leaf and it comes as a root. And it's the root that actually helps to decrease that DHT for people as well. It can be helpful. Again, they're just band-aids. They're not going to fix the cause. You still have to fix the cause with your practitioner, but they can be helpful in the meantime to just slow the process down and improve it faster. Okay, great. And so then let's transition to estrogen, progesterone, that balance. And you mm -hmm. mentioned that sometimes just progesterone's low because of where people, you know, women are in, mm -hmm. uh, in the phase, you know, in their cycle and, you know, how close they are to menopause. And then there's also the the um, inability to metabolize estrogens. And so there are probably some differences in the way you address that, right? Definitely, yeah. If we started with estrogens, um, I tell people the first thing you want to do is always start with the gut because it's, it's like the sewer line out of your house. You want to make sure that's open and clear and getting rid of all the bad stuff out of your house. So lots of fiber, right? Reducing alcohol, looking at your pre and your probiotics, um, Thinking about antibiotic use, you know, do you really need that antibiotic? Are you just taking it just because? Because, of course, that will affect your microbiome. And so anything that helps the gut will automatically help your estrogen. Then we go up from there. We look at the liver. So, again, we're looking at alcohol use. If you have a lot of skin issues, a lot of hormone issues, and you do happen to have one, two, three glasses of wine a night, know that alcohol and estrogen are both trying to get through your liver and alcohol will always win. And so estrogen gets pushed to the back and recirculates over and over again in your body. So keeping that in mind. Brassica family foods are really important. What is a brassica family food? That's your broccoli, your kale, your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts, 
I like broccoli sprouts, broccoli sprouts. So there's big broccoli, like our normal broccoli. And then sprouted broccoli is really high in something called sulforaphane with an S. Sulforaphane is really helpful for estrogen detoxification and well, lots of detoxification, but estrogen's in uh, one of my favorites. And so I'm using a lot of that. Magnesium can be really helpful. Zinc is really helpful here as well. Glycine can be really helpful. B vitamins, again, can be really helpful. And that's just helping to get estrogen through the liver and then out the intestines in a, in a healthy manner so that it's more in balance with where you need to be. Now, progesterone's a little different. Progesterone is a lot about um, ovulation, right? So you have to, in order to make progesterone, you have to release an egg or ovulate. And so there's a really great helpful herb that uh, is um, common. It's called Vitex or Chase Treeberry. And it can be helpful to be uh, done usually every day in a cycle to help the brain communicate with the ovary to improve ovulation. The vitamins are helpful again here, specifically vitamin B6. Your oils are really helpful, your omega-3s, your borage oil, your evening primrose oil, those good organic oils, really good for the cells and really good for progesterone production. And so by, by and, and then again, sleep, honestly, getting your circadian rhythm right helps with your ovulation rhythm, and that will then further help your cycle and your hormones at large. Yeah. And how do you feel about um, seed cycling or seed oil or oil cycling or any of those? Yeah, I actually like seed cycling. So I know people will, um, people will often say, well, there's no literature, right? There's no research on it. I said, there's not, but man, do I have lots of anecdotal women over the years who swear by it, swear by it. They've done seed cycling through their, their, you know, you do certain seeds the first half, switch and do different add different seeds to your diet in the second half. And they're like, wow, my PMS got so much better. And my cycle was right on time. And I ovulated when I was supposed to. So the anecdotal just absolutely is what I believe. I'm like, great. If I have all these women who swear by it, then uh, if you want to do it, I recommend it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And how do you feel about like evening primrose oil and cycling that? Or do you just think it's, you know, you can, yeah, you can. The only downfall to primrose oil that I have found is it can make headaches worse in a headache-prone people. Um, I have gotten that feedback uh, over the years from women who say, I'm doing primrose oil and my migraines are worse. I'm like, oh, yep, that's one of the potential side effects. Just be aware. But yes, you can, you, can, um, you can alternate. You can do primrose in the first and then like fish oil in the second. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, great. And then just about with the estrogen metabolism, you mentioned sulforaphane and you mentioned broccolis. How do you feel about taking supplements of sulforaphane or DIM supplements? So DIM is a little different. DIM is methane, and DIM comes from broccoli. So when broccoli, when you chew up broccoli and it hits your stomach, there's an, first there's a component called indole-3-carbonyl and it needs acid. So you have to have healthy stomach acid to break it apart. One of the molecules is DIM. So you can buy DIM as a supplement or you can get it from broccoli um, if you have good stomach acid. So DIM is really good for phase one estrogen detox. So if you have a phase one estrogen problem, excellent. If you don't have a phase one problem, then DIM can actually be more harmful than helpful. Whereas sulforaphane is more of a phase two support and it helps estrogen, it helps stop estrogen from um, in, uh, inducing DNA damage. They're called adduct, A-D-D-U-C-T, adduct formation. So I like sulforaphane because it's a little more, it's like a step back, it's a little more broader, and you can take that pretty continuously, whereas DIM, I'm really focused only if they have a 
phase one problem. So if they have a phase three problem, which is the gut, or phase two problem, which is um, with a um, genetic SNP called COMT, DIM's not gonna be helpful. But if you have a phase one problem on testing, then yeah, absolutely, it works wonders, works great. So I know people are gonna ask me that. So what, how are people gonna know if they're a phase one? <laughs> right, you have to test. And I will get asked, people will say, well, what symptoms are different? What's, what's a symptom of somebody with phase one versus phase two or phase three? All the, the symptoms are the same. If you have bad PMS or heavy periods or endometriosis, I can't tell you if it's one, two or three. Sometimes it's all of them and we have to address all of them. Sometimes it's just a part of them. So phase one and two are done through urine testing um, and phase three is done through stool testing. So it's two different tests, unfortunately, but that's just the way it goes when we're looking at detoxification. Mm -hmm. Okay, and do you ever recommend genetic testing too? Because you, you mentioned uh, genetic polymorph polymorphisms. Um, do, you, do you do that as part of your practice? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And in fact, nowadays, a lot of people just come in with them. Like a lot of people, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people have done something online, you know, they've, and they've got the results and they've run it through some sort of, you know, reader that tells them what's going on. Um, and it is helpful, especially for estrogen. That's probably the favorite thing I look at for estrogen detoxification, um, that COMT, that um, COMT neutralizes estrogen so that you can get rid of it out of your intestines. And so if somebody has a a polymorphism in their SNP that maybe increases the risk for breast cancer. Not BRCA, not the BRCA gene, but there's other genes like um, they're called CYP, so your cytochrome. Cytochrome 1B1, as an example, pushes estrogen down the wrong pathway. And if somebody has that and an upregulation in that, then I know I have to be very proactive as a practitioner to keep them off that pathway because genetically they really want to go down that pathway and I do not want them to go down that pathway. And same for if somebody has a slow COMT polymorphism, they're gonna be slow to detox their estrogen. It's gonna recirculate and they're high, at higher risk for heavy periods, fibroids, endometriosis, PMS, what have you, skin issues. So I know I need to help do what I can to speed up their COMT and support their COMT. So I do like it for that reason. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, and you also mentioned stool testing. So it sounds like you, you do a stool test. Yes. Yeah. Microbiome and, yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking at good bugs, bad bugs, parasites, and I'm looking particularly at an enzyme called beta glucuronidase. Beta glucuronidase is the enzyme that will keep estrogen in the body and not let it go. And so if you have high levels as a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, then you can have higher levels of circulating estrogen because the gut won't release it. And we can do things to help lower that enzyme. So right, effect, affecting the microbiome, reducing inflammation, being careful of what we eat and how we eat fiber and alcohol and antibiotics. And there's a supplement called calcium deglucurate, CDG. Doesn't fix anything, but it does band-aid and allow estrogen to go out. So while we're working on all the microbiome things, I will sometimes give that supplement to help just estrogen continue to clear out and it really helps the symptoms pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Well, that's been amazing. And I know there are we've covered so much just now. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. How do I, you know, how do I know what to do? I mean, I think the big thing is, is I, I wanted to make it clear with people, it's really important if you've got hormonal issues to work with a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor who can do testing like this that we've talked about. And really figure out what the root cause of because you, you you know it's it's 
it can be oversimplified and all you need is a blood test and it's just, you know, like, is your estrogen low, is your progesterone low? And it's so much more than that. So I wanted to shed some light on that with you today. So I really appreciate it. Anything that you want to share with people like, you know, tips or general things or, you know, where to start with their skin and hormones? Yeah, I actually, I'll, do, I'll start with, um, which is not so much skin, but it's hair because it's probably the biggest question I'm getting right now is all the hair loss. And I just reminding people that if you are suddenly experiencing a lot of hair loss, um, cortisol has a very, very powerful effect on the hair follicles, on the skin as well, like we were saying, but um, I have women freaking out like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm losing hair all of a sudden starting in March or April. I'm like, yes, so high cortisol and high adrenaline, epinephrine directly impacts your hair follicles and can cause shedding and it can slow down growth. It can push your hair actually into the resting phase as opposed to the growing phase. And so I like, don't freak out. I know you want to freak out because you're losing hair, but don't freak out. Just know it's, it's temporary thing. Do what you can to reduce and relax with stress and to take care of yourself right now. Um, and it will eventually, it'll, it'll turn around and your hair will grow again. It's, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just the current situation of stress right now impacting your hair follicles and by telling well men too but so many women this they're like there's nothing wrong with me I'm like no it's the state of the state of the world right now and your hair follicles are very sensitive and they're reacting and it will eventually get better I promise it just you know cortisol stress <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I think sometimes about how when everybody's gotten back to their hairstylist and gotten their hair appointment done how many of them are going to go Oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much hair I'd lost. <laughs> yeah, and I and I insane like hairstylists who are listening to this need to know that like don't don't freak out your client like wow, you've lost a lot of hair. Like everybody has. That's <laughs> stress right now. <laughs> All right, great. Well, Dr. Kerry, can you tell everybody where they can learn more about you, where they can find you? Definitely. So, everything I do, webinars, podcasts, everything I post for free, including this one. Um, on my website, which is actually dutchtest.com. So D-U-T-C-H, dutchtest.com. And then on Instagram, I live on Instagram. That's my favorite. And it's at dr.carryjones. Yeah, you have a great Instagram. I know you've got really active following and you post some really great things on there. Um, so thank you for all that you do to educate people and to help out. Um, and again, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about hormones and skin is near and dear to my heart. So I love it. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Carrie Jones. Lots of fascinating information about the connection between hormones and skin. You can learn more about her by going to thespadoctor.com. Go to the podcast page with her interview and you'll find all the information and links. And this might be a good time to download the transcript from the podcast because there's packed full of so much information in this interview. Also, while you're at thespotdoctor.com, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows and information. And if you haven't taken the skin quiz yet, you can go to theskinquiz.com to find out what messages your skin might be trying to tell you about your health, including imbalances and hormones, and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join us on social media. The Spot Doctor is on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, Twitter, and I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast.